Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we are going to be talking about the things every leader needs in a time of unprecedented change. I'm excited to be joined today by Dr. Adam Bandelli, who is the Managing Director of Bandelli and Associates. Adam, welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Great. So Adam recently wrote a book um, that uh, he's going to um, share a bit about with us today. Uh, That book is titled What Every Leader Needs. Um, And we're going to talk about uh, some of the um, characteristics and uh, advice that, that Adam shares in that book. Um, as it relates to some of the uh, change and challenges our audience is facing. Um, Before we dig in, Adam, can you tell our listeners a bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a leadership advisor and management psychologist by training. I did my doctoral work down at the University of South Florida, where I really focused on three things that have kind of transcended through my career. One is around leadership excellence, and that played a role in helping to write the first book. The second is around relationships and influence. And then the third is around culture work. So I did my degree down there. I spent the first decade of my career working for a global management consulting firm where we really focused on three different things. Uh, One is around leadership selection assessments. So helping companies hire senior executives into key roles. Uh, The second is around leadership development and executive coaching. So I worked with a number of leaders, Fortune 100 companies on down, C-suite, C-1 to really help develop and cultivate the skills they need. And then the third phase is around transformational change. So really helping companies set a vision for their teams and then instilling those norms and beliefs down through their cultures. Uh, I started my firm in 2016 and the last five or six years, we've seen a lot of growth even during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and uh, we're working with some great clients. Good, good, excellent. Um, And, you know, we've talked a lot over the last year and a half, almost two years about, you know, the elements of change that the pandemic has brought about when it comes to technology, leadership, culture, uh, all of those things. So, um, all right. So we are going to share some of the insights from the book. Um, but before we do that, I'm hoping you can talk a bit about some of the different forces, uh, that are causing an evolution around leadership. Yeah. 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 Great thing. So I think there are a couple of things that are really causing a change in leadership across different companies and industries. I think one, we're seeing more of this focus around crisis leadership. So the pandemic has really shown us that great leaders need to not only drive results and motivate their people, but they need to really have those connections individually with the folks that work with them. Mm -hmm. If we go back to the beginning of the pandemic, um, people were concerned about their children, their elderly parents. So having the work-life balance has gone away. And so leaders who were able to sew into the relationships and really show um, an interest and demonstrate empathy for their people are are really getting the most out of their people as we get out of the pandemic. Uh, So that would be one place. I think the second place that leadership is really starting to see some changes is around inclusive and diverse cultures. And so coming out of social justice from 2020, um, many companies are now focusing on how do we build more inclusive cultures? And how do we get our people from different backgrounds and races and ethnicities and sexual orientation to really have that connected tissue where diversity of thought is the primary thing that's brought to the forefront and you're able to leverage the insights from people from all different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think the third piece is really around servant leadership. And so what we're seeing a lot in our firm with our clients is this idea of authenticity. Mm 
And so leaders who show up and bring their best selves to work are being genuine. They are being authentic. Um, there's a level of humility that they show to working with their direct reports, to working with their people. And that really builds cultures of excellence for their teams and organizations. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think about a, a few things here. Um, you know, I want to comment on a couple of the points you made, but before maybe I'll add one or two of my own thoughts, you know, one of the things that I think is both exciting and challenging for leaders today is how the need to be more agile, um, the pace of change, the pace of decision-making, right? This idea of, you know, being in a real constant state of continual improvement, yeah, but yeah. like not in a way where like everyone's always continually improving, but like in a real, like there are always real significant things happening, right? I mean, we're just in a place where there is a lot of disruption yes. and, you know, the idea of um, quick decisions, acting on your feet, being able to, you know, evaluate uh, data and criteria uh, in a very nimble way, you know, those types of things um, is, is a change in the landscape. The other uh, thing that we've talked about just a bit on here, you know, because on, on this podcast, we do often talk about the ways companies are leveraging um, technology to, you know, innovate, right? Um, is the idea that in many instances, you have leaders who are not, you know, digital natives, right? Mm -hmm. But yep. they're leading companies <laughs> through digital transformation and the journey to digitalization. Yeah. And what that means in terms of, you know, how they perceive themselves, how they need to build talent around them, how they manage uh, and reward that talent, right, on outcomes, not output, you know, so a lot of different things um, related to that. But I absolutely agree with you that each of the things you mentioned, what's interesting to me is leaders that aren't good leaders are smart enough to know that they need to pretend to be good leaders, right? Yeah, so like yeah. <laughs> what stands out to me, what I mean by that is, you know, each of the things you said, like connecting with your employees and focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, everyone knows that those yeah. things are important. So everyone says they're doing it, right? Yep. Um, but the real difference is, I think, uh, the word that you said, which is authenticity, right? So it is, this is not about checking a box yeah, yeah. that you're a good leader. It's about genuinely giving a shit and showing up in that way, right? Yeah. And it can be really challenging sometimes to tell the difference. Do you, yeah. do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you'll, you'll see short-term results if you put a quick bandaid around diversity inclusion, or if you try to um, show more time for your people, but the, the, the best leaders are doing it consistently and they're committed mm -hmm. to doing it. And so there is no kind of drop off after a short period of time. They are genuinely trying to make the people around them better. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, a real recognition or um, understanding of the value that comes from that. Right. So if you think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, it, it's not about 
you know, making sure that you're um, hitting X percent of this or, you know, pay equity in this area, right? It's what you said, which is all of that is important, but it's also diversity of thought and opinion. Yeah. Like you should not want everyone around you to be the same as you. <laughs> you should welcome people in that have different backgrounds, different experiences, different viewpoints. And, you know, that only makes your organization stronger. And so I think that there's this idea of historically leaders, you know, there's this perception, right, of, of the elite and, you know, the, the top dog type mentality, right? And I think in a lot of today's organizations, you see more democratization of, of talent and control, more empowerment, more realization that the more I engage my employees and the more they're invested in what they're doing, the better we will all be um, yep. because Spot. of that. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. It's really interesting though. Um, you know, I also feel for a lot of folks that I have on here, Adam, that work for leaders who are dinosaurs. <laughs> um, still, and, still part of an old boys club. Yeah. And, you know, they see such opportunity for change in their own organizations, but it's yeah. just, you know, they're, they're met with they're such resistance. Yeah. And it's, that's disheartening, um, you know, and it's, and it's frustrating and it's a testament to, um, you know, that talent that sees that opportunity is only going to hang on so long before they yeah. take their talent elsewhere because they don't, you know, they're not in an environment where they can really contribute and, well, I think, you know, we're in the midst of the great resignation now. And so leaders who are doing those things, they're losing people left and right. Mm -hmm. I have some of our clients who are going through that transition now where the old guard who's been doing things the same way for years, um, attrition is, is going through the roof. And so mm -hmm. unless leaders are really taking time to develop their people and spend time with their people and build relationships with their people, um, you can find another job tomorrow. And so, especially, and it goes by the generational things too. You look at millennials or Gen Z, they're looking for variety. They're looking for mm -hmm. things that matter in terms of social issues. And so, you know, folks who are in their careers 20, 30 years, um, they're not wired that way. And so right. if leaders at the highest levels are not being intentional about how to meet the needs of their employees, that will continue to happen. Yeah. Um, I want to ask a question though uh, about, so let's, I don't want to say let's set COVID aside. No one can do that. And I, I agree that in the same way that we've stated here, COVID sped and exacerbated a focus on technology, right? Yeah. Because the yeah. companies that had it were glad they did. And the companies yeah. that didn't realized <laughs> real quick that, that they yeah. should have gotten ahead of that. Yeah. I yeah. feel similarly about the topic of leadership and company culture in the sense that, um, I do think it has sped and exacerbated some of the companies that were perhaps already on this journey, right, of, of caring more and, and all of these things. Yeah. But I do think it was underway prior. And what I wonder is if you have any thoughts or opinions on where, where was the fork in the road or like what created the fork in the road of the old guard versus kind of I don't even know if there is a, a really good term for it uh, in, you know, the organizational psychology world, but like this more new wave of, of leadership. 
right? Yeah. I mean, so you see with the, the gender inequalities that have been there for decades, that's begun to shift. I'm seeing more of the senior executives that I work with who are women. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're empowering their people more. They're creating venues and opportunities where people can communicate more effectively. Um, we're seeing it with minorities and ethnicity differences as well. So people who may have been in lower level roles decades ago are now given opportunities at the top of the house and they're bringing about that change. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think there was one point in time or one event where it shifted. I think we saw in the early 2000s, some of this start to shift. We had the recession 2008, 2009. And in this last decade, we're seeing a number of different things. LGBTQ, that's become huge in terms of um, just equality in the workplace as well. So Mm -hmm. I think all these things had their starts at certain points over the last 20, 30 years. And now we're starting to see some of the fruits of that Mm -hmm. as we're going into the last couple of years and moving forward. Yeah. Okay. All right. So in the book, uh, What Every Leader Needs, um, you detail 10 competencies for leadership success in today's landscape. That's right. So we won't have time on uh, uh, one podcast to go through all 10 um, in, in detail. Uh, plus, I want people to go buy your book uh, and read about them there. Um, but let's talk about a few. Uh, so first, let's talk about compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So compassion is really about impacting people through communication, social awareness, and what I call relational intelligence. And I think the foundations of compassion are really around the idea of EQ and empathy. Mm -hmm. And so great leaders have self-awareness about how they're coming across to others. They're effective at managing their emotions. And then they're effective about reading a room. And so those key things really make for people to show up in a compassionate way. Um, But showing up and understanding people's emotions is just one part of it. And so the part that goes deeper is what I've coined as relational intelligence, which is the ability for people to successfully connect with others and build strong, long-lasting relationships. Mm -hmm. And so how do leaders do that? They do it by establishing rapport with their people. They do it by taking time to understand others, to be inquisitive, to be curious. Um, They're also valuing diversity as part of the programs that run their organization and not just as a quick fix. And then this idea of trust becomes really critical. So are leaders able to develop trust give it out, earn it back from their people. Um, And and that really ties into role models and mentors and how organizations are able to build systems where people who are new can learn from those who have been there and Mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to come back with some questions on all of these, but let's go through them first. Uh, So the next one is endurance. Yeah. Yeah. So endurance is really focused more around maintaining resilience, tenacity, and stamina to achieve your goals. And so we've really seen this become one of the forefront leadership skills coming out of the pandemic. You know, people have had to push through some difficult change and uncertainty, and there are different ways that leaders can focus on it. I think what we've seen over the last year are that leaders who are very pragmatic and practical, they're Mm -hmm. able to set goals for their teams that they can achieve in the short term um, when people do not know what's going on and trying to figure things out day from day. Um, Leaders who operate with endurance, they play at the right level as well. So this idea of delegation becomes really critical and how you're able to do that within your teams across functions as well. Uh, And then there's a piece around balancing strategic and tactical issues. So great leaders who are able to show up with endurance, they know the level that they need to play, Mm -hmm. but they also know that they have the people around them to go tactical when they need to and they can pull back up. So it's those pieces that really make for folks who are able to show that endurance over time. So this is maybe a combination of both of those two initial characteristics, but um, what I had a really interesting conversation a few months ago with um, 
someone I know who works within an organization that was really heavily impacted uh, by the pandemic in a negative way, um, yeah. like many were, right? And yep. um, the the conversation we had was about that organization's um, leadership's missteps yeah. in yeah. not being able <laughs> to separate the performance of its employees mm. with yeah. the performance of the organization, right? Yeah. So it was this situation where, you know, I just think when you think of endurance and you think about what everyone's been through, you yeah. know, during the last year and a half, I mean, this can apply to your real life too. I mean, I, you know, I'll be honest, like it's, I've had times where I've struggled, right? And I'm like, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm not talking about work. I'm talking about it all, right? Like, yeah. it's just like the yeah. whole yeah. thing has just seemed incredibly defeating at times, never ending. Like, will we ever be able to X, you know, all of the things, all of the worry, the stress, et cetera. So, um, and, you know, as a leader of a company, then that's compounded by your own, your need for personal endurance with whatever might be going on in your, in your life with the endurance of also the organization and the team. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you were talking about endurance, I was just thinking like, boy, that has to be really, really hard to be a motivating force yeah, yeah. in such a taxing time, right? Yeah. But, you know, the reality is um, that's where I was kind of thinking about the intersection of those two traits, like endurance yeah. and compassion, right? Because Yes, it's frustrating to have to um, recognize your team for hard work when the overall performance of the company is suffering, but it, yeah. you need to have the compassion to know it's, it's not their fault and they're still trying, right? Yep. And so, you know, by, by not being able to separate those things and um, either directly or indirectly placing that blame on them, you know, you yeah. just kill the morale of your whole staff. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, yeah. there's a lot that comes into, I would imagine, sort of the codependencies of these characteristics and how they yeah, all, it, all intersect. Yeah, that, that's spot on. I think that there's a huge connection between a number of them, but mm -hmm. compassion and endurance are probably two of the biggest ones that have been interconnected in the last year and a half. Yeah. Um, and I can think of one example from one of our clients where there was someone who was new to the role and new to the organization and didn't really know and understand the culture. And so as performance started to dip for the organization, um, you know, this leader started to push harder with his people mm -hmm. and missed out on those moments to really empathize with what they were doing in their home and personalize because the, the blending lines of work and personal has really kind of been thrown into the forefront in the last year. And so um, he was unsuccessful in really getting to motivate his team because he didn't take time for them. He focused more on what we need to do versus yeah. who do we have around the table to get it done. Yeah, this is where I knew, I wish I knew sports better and I could come with like a really good analogy of like, what type of coach are you, this guy or this guy or, or girl, but I don't, but I mean, yeah. it is very much a thing of, you know, and I think this goes back to the, the EQ, the relational intelligence, right. And being able to say, what do they need from me right now yeah. to yeah. endure, right. Do I need to be hard and strict and do I need to kind of lay down the law or do I need to back up a little bit and be more compassionate, be more empathetic yeah, and kind of take a softer approach. And I think that really good leaders can do both. Um, they don't sort of, uh, you know, just um, 
characterize themselves as one or the other, right? They yeah. can kind of put on different hats as needed yeah. to get the outcome. Yeah, yeah. Great leaders are servant leaders. I'm a firm believer in that. And so servant leaders put their people first. Mm -hmm. And if you put people first and you sow into their lives, they're going to drill through walls for you. They're going to be committed to you. Um, if you don't lead by fear and intimidation, um, mm -hmm. some of the greatest leaders that I've worked with um, understand that at their core. And mm -hmm. so they show up to make their people better. And that shows up in the results at the end of the day. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next characteristic we're going to talk about is vision. Yeah. Yeah. So vision is the kind of um, quintessential leadership skill. Um, it starts on the very basic level. If you don't have a plan or idea for your future, you'll have no idea where you're going. Um, so vision is about setting a it's about developing a clear sense of mission and purpose that really provides direction to yourself and to others. Mm -hmm. And so leaders are able to do that three year plan, five year plan. They at least get a, a, an idea of where they want to go and they can do the kind of delineation of where we are current state and where the future state is. Um, but there's three important things that when you're setting a vision for your team are really critical. I think one, you have to build the playbook. So if I have a goal to do X, Y, Z in five years, what are we going to do each year to get there? And so building those steps into you can achieve that vision. But the most important thing with your people is to bring them along for the journey. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just you in a room creating this overall theme or this overall approach. It's are you getting agreement and getting alignment and making sure that your folks play a role in shaping what that vision will look like. And then the biggest thing that I've seen that's been a challenge in the last two years has been celebrating the victories along the way. And so leaders are constantly trying to strive for that next hill, that next goal or accomplishment that when they don't celebrate the victories, it can be very demoralizing to your team. Mm -hmm. So setting a vision really focuses on those three things. It's having your playbook, it's bringing others along, and then it's really being able to celebrate the victories along the way. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, the next one is inspiration. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Inspiration is one of my favorite ones. You know, this is really around motivating, encouraging and influencing other people. Um, and, and this is where it goes beyond compassion, because compassion is really understanding where people are and meeting them there. Inspiration is how you're able to take that and really drive things forward. Mm -hmm. And so inspiration really focuses on words that have power. Our words have tremendous power, whether it's good and bad. And the people that report to us can sometimes hang on everything that we say. Mm -hmm. So are you being encouraging with what you're sharing? Are you pointing out things that they're doing well and providing that feedback on a consistent basis? So many leaders miss out on opportunities to provide feedback. And so that's a big critical piece of it. Um, rewards, recognition, and repercussions. That's another big part of inspiration. Mm -hmm. Are you setting clear expectations and holding people accountable? If you are and they're achieving their objectives, how are you rewarding them? And not just incentives and comp and pay, but how are you giving them opportunities to take on greater responsibility or increasing their scale and scope and what they do? And then recognition is about really supporting them and encouraging them to be promoted or to move on. Are you acknowledging the hard work that they're putting in? Mm -hmm. And then the third piece around inspiration is really around developing the talents of your people. And so great leaders are very intentional and focused on how can I make my team better individually and collectively. And mm -hmm. so inspiration really is shown and demonstrated by how you develop your people. So what I'm wondering, Adam, is how reliant is a leader's ability to inspire its workforce on their investment in their own inspiration? Explain that a little more. So I think for a leader to be able to go to work and inspire others, they need yeah. to be inspired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that sometimes 
leaders don't do a good job of conserving the time and energy to source their own inspiration. Yeah, Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And so sure. I'm just wondering your thoughts on the correlation between those two things. Like they can, the, the, I guess the concept of you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I think like some of the leaders I know that I think are most inspiring. Yeah. Actively prioritize investment in things that inspire them. So whether yeah. that's peer groups, community, their own mentorships, reading, yep. um, podcasts, movies, yep. whatever it is that really, yeah. Yeah. you know, lights them up, they yeah. yep. know that they need to have the time to do those things so that they then have that energy to take to yeah. their role. Yeah. Where, where are they getting their energy from? Where are they getting their inspiration from? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think really strong leaders are balanced in how they do things. So they take time for their physical and fitness. They take time for their spiritual, mental, and emotional. So it's a well-balanced, but they have resources and tools that they leverage, whether it's books that they read, whether it's podcasts that they listen to, but they're getting their inspiration from what they're seeing. And then it goes back to the idea around vision. They're getting their inspiration from where are we taking this business? Where are we taking the team? Um, leaders who have the end state in mind, can usually keep themselves engaged and motivated because they're moving towards something. Mm -hmm. I also, I think, would say that some of the best leaders I know allow themselves to be inspired by their teams or right. individuals yeah. on their teams, right? Like yeah. they can also um, get inspiration from the people that they're working with. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, the last one we're going to talk about today is innovation. Yeah, yeah. And innovation is, is really, how are you able to apply continuous improvements to processes and procedures over time? And so, you know, innovation really focuses on four critical elements. I think one, innovative leaders anticipate the future. So they're constantly looking around the corner and anticipating what's going to happen next, mm -hmm. whether you're in an industry where you develop products, whether you're in a services industry, how can I meet the needs of my customers or clients before they even know they're happening? Um, I think the other piece around innovation that's really critical is can you put thoughts into actions? Some of the greatest leaders that I've worked with not only have people around them who can come up with great ideas, but they're able to then track that back to, okay, how do we make this come to life? Because you can have tons of great ideas, but unless you can bring it to the forefront and make it happen, innovation is not going to be useful. Um, then there's this piece at the organizational level, which is really around how do you create cultures where people value creativity and mm -hmm. they value idea generation. And it, it really starts from kind of having an open environment where people feel their values and beliefs are appreciated and so that people can be more creative. And then going back to what we started with today, it's championing diversity of thought. You want different people around the table from you so that the best ideas can be brought to the forefront. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things um, that comes to mind when I think about innovation is, you know, it seems like such a sexy word, uh, but in reality, it's tied very closely again to endurance, right? I mean, it's to your point you know, you can have innovative ideas all day, every day, but if you don't actually put any of them, uh, you know, in place, it, it doesn't matter. Right. So it's a big part of innovation is execution. And yeah, I think yeah. that, um, you know, there's some of the most innovative minds, I think are also just people that are programmed to 
think fast, move on to the next thing, think fast, move on to the next thing. Right. So kind of tempering that with the ability to execute, right. And the ability to kind of take things, uh, in, in the appropriate order to actually see them come to fruition, um, you know, is a super important part of, of innovation. And the other part that's tied into endurance is a lot of times people are thrown into situations where they need to adjust and change. Mm-hmm. Um, change is imposed on them. That's not their choice. And so people who are innovative know how to adapt and respond. They're agile. They can respond mm-hmm. quickly to those changing circumstances and come up with solutions to adapt on the fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Really cool. Um, so uh, if listeners want to know what the other five characteristics are, they need to uh, check out the book, which we'll tell them yeah. about later. Um, but you also have a new book coming out in the spring. So can you tell us a little bit, maybe give us a little bit of a sneak peek into that? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I've spent the last two decades of my life really focused on relationships and influence. So how can leaders get the best out of their people by the relationships that they develop? Um, so I came up with this concept called relational intelligence uh, back when I was doing my dissertation in graduate school. And I've refined this framework over the last 15 years, uh, both personally and professionally. So the new book is called Relational Intelligence, The Five Essential Skills That You Need to Build Life-Changing Relationships. And what the book looks at is this conceptual model that I developed that looks at five skills um, that lead to building a strong relationship to influence people. So skills like how are you able to make an initial connection? How are you able to show empathy and curiosity for people? Um, How are you able to embrace diversity, develop trust? So the first part of this book really does a deep dive into each of the five skills. Uh, Very similar to my first book, there's practical applications at the end of every chapter where you can apply these right away to use them. The second part of the book is the applications of relational intelligence on the different areas of our life. So related to our family lives, our friendships, our professional lives, and even our romantic lives and marriage. So it kind of shows how this applies to both things. Mm -hmm. Um, We have seen in my firm and with our clients, it's become one of the most number one issues that people are facing right now, especially coming out of the pandemic. People have lost that human element moment. We're doing our conversations like this at Zoom. So getting in the room with people and really being able to embrace others and being able to really reestablish those connections is critical. Mm -hmm. And relational intelligence is really a toolkit for people to reestablish their relationships. Okay. Good. Um, so what do you think uh, are the biggest barriers to leaders yeah. embracing the 10 characteristics you outline in what every leader needs um, and or some of the you know points that you bring up in the new book coming out, um, yeah. the skills yeah. related to relational intelligence? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So I think there is what we call the dark side of leadership. So there's certain traits that leaders demonstrate that can really get them into trouble. Mm -hmm. So things like Machiavellianism, narcissism, and pride. And so whether you're building relationships with colleagues or whether you're trying to inspire, motivate people, when leaders are self-centered and directed kind of on their outcomes, when they view people as means to an end, and they don't think about the repercussions Mm -hmm. long-term, there's this term leading with the iron fist. Mm -hmm. Um, Leaders who do that will get immediate results for the short term, but they'll damage relationships and they'll damage the impact and the culture that they have long term. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that I would say that is a real big barrier is finding and identifying who those people are and making sure that they're not in the roles where they're going to influence and impact other people. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing is really around this inability to change and adapt. 
Um, the leaders who have struggled the most through the pandemic are the ones who have had an inability to adjust to working from home. I look at people in the restaurant hospitality industry who have always been in offices and in restaurants and in places to be stuck at home has been very challenging for folks in that industry. Mm -hmm. um, other industries like myself, professional services, I did most of this where I was either at my clients or working from home writing reports. So it was not a difficult transition for me to do this. Um, I'm extroverted and get energy off of interacting with people. So that part was hard. Um, mm -hmm. But I think those who couldn't embrace change have struggled. And then I think the other piece that's tied into the self-centeredness is leaders who only care about the results. Um, you know, I, I believe that the highest calling of leadership is development and cultivation of the skills of the people around you. Mm -hmm. And if you're just trying to push people to get to a number or to hit your top line growth, um, you're not going to be able to generate that success long term. So to what degree, though, the last comment you made, yeah. um, I agree. OK, yeah. but I don't. It doesn't seem to me that a lot of top level executives um, yeah. and boards that that I would interact with today yeah. would share that sentiment. Or if they do, it goes back to the point I made early on, which is they can say it. But at the end of the day, all of the decisions they right. make are very driven by just numbers. So yeah. Yeah. to what degree do you think? people share that sentiment that you have and is that on on the increase yeah i think you go by generations i think folks who are baby boomers who are probably on their way out in the next decade or so they have that old guard mindset um, i'm working with a lot of executives now who are in their early to mid 40s where the focus on people and culture has become even more important so I believe you are starting to, you will start to see a shift over the next decade where there will no longer be lip service to, we have to care and show empathy for our people. That will become more of their priority. It's a much more important factor to millennials. It's a much more important factor to Gen Z. Um, and so that shift I think is gonna start to really snowball over the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have a lot of other questions I'd like to ask you, but we're not gonna have time for all of them today. We'll have to have you back sometime, maybe when the new book comes out in the spring. Yeah, yeah. Dig in, it, dig into that a bit. Okay. Um, I did want to ask, you know, you've spent years and years working with different clients on, um, you know, both their businesses and themselves in terms yeah. of, you know, their own leadership uh, skills. Yeah. Um, is there any, like, daily practice yeah. or yeah. best habit yeah. that you would suggest to listeners when it comes yeah. to, you know, this concept of embracing modern best practices and, you know, educating and continually improving yourselves, you know, let's leave the people out that don't have a genuine desire to show up because what's <laughs> yeah. the point? That's a, that's a different conversation, but for the people that do, what is the best advice you can give in terms of, um, good habits, daily practices, that sort of thing? So I'll start with what my clients do and what I coach them on, and then I'll say what I do personally, because I think that's more meaningful and impactful to your audience. Um, the greatest leaders that I work with have healthy routines that they start their days with. Mm -hmm. um, if you go back to Tony Robbins, he talked about his hour of power, and a lot of folks, Oprah does the same thing, but you'll see successful people across all walks of life start their day with a consistent routine. Mm -hmm. um, for me, over the last several years, I've honed and refined it. 
So I spend the first hour or so of the day really focused on spiritual practices, physical health, mental and emotional well-being. And one of the things that I do that's very simple, everyone's probably heard of it before, but I journal. And so journaling is one of the first things that I do in the morning, just getting my thoughts down on paper before I touch anything else or do anything else. And for what it's done for me is it's freed up the creative ability to write elsewhere without having writer's block or things get in the way of me putting my words to paper. So I've written both of these books, What Every Leader Needs and Relational Intelligence over the last two years because of that one specific habit. Mm -hmm. uh, I start the habit every January where I'll sit down and just, again, every morning I have to fill one page, one page of a piece of paper out with thoughts and just random, random things that I'm emotionally experiencing or whatnot at the mm -hmm. start of the day. And that has led into me being freer to write and to create and to be innovative in all the work that I do at my firm. So I would say to your audience, get yourself a good routine in the morning, have it be a combination of thought, physical activity. You want to both exercise the psychology of your mind mm -hmm. and also the physiology of your body. And mm -hmm. if you do that, I think it will impact your life. It will impact your life in many different ways but it will automatically set your day on a bright note where whatever types of adversity are come your way, because you've kind of given yourself that one hour to set the stage mm -hmm. it makes the rest of the day more successful. What time do you get up? Uh, usually 5 a.m. So I, I try time? to do this. Between what time do you go to bed? 9, 30, 10. So I'm, I'm an early fall sleep early, get up early. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to be honest with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I feel like I don't want this to turn into a therapy session, but I, uh, <laughs> I will admit publicly that I, in the last couple months have fallen out of that habit myself. Yeah. Right. So I, five days a week would get up, go to the gym at five 45. Um, I don't know that I was as good at the other parts, uh, you know, inter, I don't journal and then those are all things I would like to do. Right. Um, and it, it, it's, it's a completely different day when I do it. Um, I just also, I struggle with the fact that, you know, I work full time, I'm married, I have two small children. Like I, I know it's. I don't want to say it's an excuse. It's a reason, but it's not a good enough reason, which is I'm just tired. I'm tired, yeah, 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 but, yeah. um, I actually, uh, ordered a Peloton last week. It will be here on there Monday <laughs> and I'm committed. You all can follow me on Instagram and watch me post my workouts daily starting Monday morning, because I know damn well, it will, yeah. uh, you know, pay off significantly. Um, and I like the idea about inspiration. You talked about inspiration. Where yeah. do you get your inspiration from? This yeah. is the hour of the day where you can get inspired by something you're listening to. You can inspire by working out. So this is the hour of the day you give to yourself, give the first hour to yourself, give the first hour to energize and mm -hmm. get yourself ready for the day. And it will impact the rest of the day. For sure. Yeah. I think that's fantastic advice. And I think that you know, I always go back to after I had my first son um, and I gained a ridiculous amount of weight when I was pregnant with him. Um, yeah. But I did a program from home. It was a half an hour a day. And I just I always told myself it is 30 minutes like there is absolutely no reason you can't prioritize this. And a lot of it is just habit, you know, and that's why I think I've been frustrated because. I've had it for so long and then I broke it and I'm having trouble getting back into it, yeah. but uh, I will, you know, um, but yeah. you're absolutely right that it's uh, people always, I don't know how you can get up that early, but like, once you're doing it, you realize it how good yeah. it is and yeah. how much it helped you. Like I always say too, like, I work out more for my mental health than I do. Yeah. Like, yes, you know, it's good for my physical health, but like yeah. my motivation is how I feel 
yeah, yeah. Period, yeah. you know? So um, I think Absolutely. that's really good advice. Okay, Adam, any closing thoughts or comments before we wrap up today? No, no, this has been tremendous. It's been a pleasure to speaking with you and your audience. And uh, you can follow us on our, our website is bandellianassociates.com. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to find out about the services that our firm offers around leadership development. Mm -hmm. And you can also go to the website, whateveryleaderneeds.com. That's one word. Okay. And that's where you can find places to purchase the book, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera. What Every Leader Needs. And the new book is coming out in the spring. Do you have a month? April. April 2022. If you follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, we're going to start posting about that in January. So there'll be a okay. lead up to the release of relational intelligence. And uh, you can follow us on social media. We'll have all that information for you. Excellent. Well, we would love to have you back when the new book comes out and talk a little bit about the content there. Really appreciate your time today. It's been wonderful having you. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. You can find more by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn as well as Twitter at the Future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening.